0: I am welcome to the Andy Gorman Golf One Putt Podcast and I have to say that I'm with Gareth not quite in the studio but uh, we we are getting ahead of the bank holiday weekend so it's a slight change on what we would normally do because tour talk is going to be very limited there's a couple of tournaments on the go at the moment um, It's Friday. Um, Ultimately, we are recording ahead of our Monday schedule, but uh, we're going to be talking training aids today. And, uh, you know, we'll have a little bit of a bite of uh, tour talk because it'd be wrong to do so. There's a round of golf, well, maybe not quite a full round of golf here in the UK, but there's been a round of golf certainly played in the US on the PGA in the playoffs uh, on a very tough looking golf course. Um, But I've got Gareth with me. How are you, Gareth?
1: Yeah, very well, Andy. Thank you.
0: So, what was your thoughts on the play yesterday? Um, you know, so, well, starting start in the US. <laughs> they got to complete a round of golf. Albeit, there's only 70 players, but uh,
1: I really enjoyed it again. The golf was was very good, and what I did like to see was it was heavily reliant on short game because inevitably they were, were kind of hacking it out the rough and up the fairway and they needed to get up and down and mm, yeah. <laughs> there's some some great shots from, from your likes of Ryan Palmer, and I've seen Dylan Fratelli and people like that. And yeah, so yeah, very good, good golf was, was on show.
0: Yeah. It's a, I, I've got to be honest with you. I think we've been spoiled recently with the birdie fests Um and it was like watching a US Open, Um you, you know, and I'm not so sure, why they've done it? A, a, a stat last night was was thrown out there that the golf courses are one shot uh, better than they were um, pre-lockdown. So I think that's a, you know they have set the courses up maybe a little bit easier. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, either I, pandering to the players or they, the TV audience. Uh, you know, I'm not sure um, because a lot of golfers have, will watch a US Open. Um, You know, so when there isn't many birdies, it looks like we're going to get two US Opens in three weeks. So it's going to be interesting (laughs) to see. I hope uh, uh, Tiger gets the chance to to play and you know to defend the tour championship title. Of course, the FedEx was won by Rory last year, but um, yeah, uh, I think he's got a lot of work to do. Um, Six back after one round, he's got to finish top four to get into the playoffs. Final round. So, you know, it's gonna be it's a tall. It was a tall order with seventy-two holes to play. It's even taller order now with fifty-four. So it you know it'll be interesting to see. And what will that course be like come Sunday? Will they wet it up? Will they allow it to stay firm and shiny? So, you know, it'll be interesting. But of course the Belfry, um, right on our doorstep, and I can't go and watch. I mean it looks stunning. Um, you know, I saw some uh, sort of videos that were taken, some photographs, um, some Instas. And um, it, I mean, just absolutely incredibly stunning property. You know, it, it is at the best of times, but, you know, the weather's been conducive to getting those those lines. Absolutely. You know, just it, it looks just incredible and better than I've ever, I think I've ever seen it in prepared for any tournament. Conditions, the weather, everything has been perfect for it. And, you know, maybe not as much golf on the course as they will have had in previous years for tournaments. And of course, it's been a while since they hosted the tournament, but um, got washed out yesterday. Um, I think we've got a handful of rounds completed. Uh, there is a, a 64 in, uh, from what I understand. Eight under par, terrific round of golf, that. But, um, yeah, a very different golf course compared to the one the guys are playing in the states so um what what's your thoughts you had a chance to watch it i was coaching all day yesterday phenomenal day in the studio um but you saw some of it gareth i mean how was the course playing you know pre rain and then obviously uh, from what you were saying not an awful lot of play as soon as it started raining
1: yeah first of all what really astounds me with these venues like Celtic manor like hanbury manor like the um close house they get so much kind of pay-and-play traffic. Boom. But then when you see them on the TV yesterday, it looked like nobody had been on the course for about six months. It looked absolutely amazing, the condition of the golf course. Dude. It was just manicured within an inch of its life. It was amazing yeah. to see. And yeah, a, a bit of a sense of pride when both of us are so close to the Balfrey. I've grown up playing golf at the balcony, like yourself and it's a real sense of pride to watch it knowing it's on your doorstep and knowing Mm -hmm. you've been there and you've played it as well. Well, I worked
0: there, of course, from 85 Mm -hmm. to 89, um, encompassing the two Ryder Cups and did, you know, on-course and off-course work. And, you know, it's, um, you know, I've watched that golf course mature, watched the trees grow from saplings and whips to, you know, to, to, obstacles now um you know you can't see very many holes i think the only holes you can see are the ones that are defined by water in between so like six and eight you can see between those two holes because there's you know i'm going to say something like a six acre lake uh in between the two um and you know that, that ultimately you know sort of um you know defines a golf course you used to look across it and you can see virtually every single hole Apart from a couple of a couple of them obscured by large oak trees, now you can hardly see a hole anywhere um, unless it's split by water. So it, mm-hmm. you know, but of course it's you know what is it forty five years old now? Um, you know, as a as a venue, golfing venue, and um, you, you know it now shows it's um, it, it's it's spectacular. So um, I'd love to see another. Big, big championship there. Of course, this not a small championship. It's just on a smaller scale than uh, you know through the tour, but it's not not a small event at all. It's just a shame that um, spectators aren't allowed. And of course, yeah, well, I would be there as well, you know, watching and uh, you know, just uh, even if I was just there for the practice days, just to to see how the guys are coping with the course and playing it. You know, it does it does look spectacular and plays. You know superbly well, and I've got to say that you know there's some some of the best greens you'll play on anytime um you know during the normal golf season. It does get a little bit wet as we saw yesterday, you know when the uh, water table sort of creeps up, and you know we've not had a huge amount of rain, um but obviously it just has caught them out with the amount of rain that came down yesterday afternoon, so uh, yeah, yeah, they
1: know, were saying that they factor. could they said that they could cope with the. Um, like on and off showers, but it, because it was quite persistent yesterday, they yeah, were it saying that heavy. they just, just yeah. couldn't come. But it, within, I think, an hour, it, it mm. kind of lightened off and they did. They, they were talking about getting back on to play. But I'm not sure, I don't think they did in the end. I think they kind no. of put, put a call to it. And, but again, just two contrasting holes, the 17th, the pros were loving it. They, were, I think it was playing the second easiest of the day, they were lapping it up. But when they got to the 18th, that t shot Andy, it's still daunting watching <laughs> it, it on TV, let alone playing it off the back sticks. It was right. I think yeah. four of them put it in the water. I think I think it was um Ross Fisher went in the water, what I saw. Danny mm. Willett went in the water. So yeah, it was causing them a, a lot of trouble. And Matt Wallace went in the water. Yeah, because the, the biggest
0: challenge there is that um you know, to to make The second shot, which is over water as well, you you know, to make that uh, reasonably easy, you know, or certainly of a shot that is less than two hundred yards, you've got to take some of that corner on, and you've got to take the bigger bite of the cherry over the water. And of course, if you turn that thing over a little bit right to left, you've caught the water, and of course, you haven't made the carry, which means that ultimately you are dropping the other side and you're laying up again and. You know, sixes and sevens are very prominent. Um, you, you know, you it is a a terrific finishing hole. Um, it really is, and um, and of course, yeah, like you say, seventeen. Were they bombing it over the over the um, the, the bunker on the right? Going, yeah, and then
1: going in with little um, hybrids and things like that into the green. A lot of them were, good, were missing left side, so bunker. But with the, okay. the way the shape the bunkers were in, and the, the guys short game, they were yeah. they were going up and down with ease. Yeah, it's um, it, it, you
0: know it's one of those that you know you you can only really fly those that bunker on the right if it's downwind, which then of course makes eighteen into the wind, and then and, and that just makes it you know eighteen even more enticing. So you, you know um, eighteen will play as little as a driving a nine, driving an eight, even driving a wedge if you really get a fairway bouncer and you don't run out of fairway into the water because I've seen that happen. Um, you know, but it will also play driving a three wood. And, you know, and that's assuming that you've you've kept your drive uh, dry. You know, and, and even for some of the long hitters, it'll play up you know, with a fairway wood or a hybrid into that green. And uh, you know, the pins at the back, sixty-five yards from front to back, it's an immense green, all uphill to the back, green, back of the green. Um, it plays fully four clubs, um, it, it maybe even five yeah. if you're into the wind. So it's it, it is a a brutal hole. If the pins at the front, you may go in with a drive and then that the wedge, nine iron. If the pins at the back, from the same drive, you could be hitting, you know, sort of seven, anything from seven to five iron. You know, with the same position, same tee shot, but you know, and say wind condition. So it is, you know, a tremendous hole with so much variety. So um, yeah, um, let's let's move on. We haven't got a conclusion. We will yeah. conclude, guys. So so that you you know, we will conclude tour talk. Um, With a second show next week, we will do a uh, Tuesday show, um, so we'll get a post that maybe late Tuesday, just depending on what time we get back from our uh, bank holiday travels. Um, So we will do a tour talk review um, at the back end, well, the middle middle part of next week, but you will get this show on Monday. So um, we've got some training aids to talk about, Um, Gareth. We won't be too biased today, but I think we're talking T-stroke um so, <laughs> um, your thoughts
1: first um uh, for me as a, as a pga professional i love a training aid if you look in my kind of coaching bag i've got every gadget and gizmo and they're not necessarily authorized training aids i've got a, a pool noodle in mm-hmm. my golf bag i've got conventional drill sticks and um, a weighted sleeve and all these type of things, but I, I just I don't know about you from a coaching perspective, I Andy. Mean, I just think it's so important to give the client that kind of visual and that kind of picture and paint the picture through training aids to, to what the optimum needs to be. And I think that's why I'm a big believer in training aids. I know a lot of my kind of PJ Pro colleagues laugh and when they see the kind of tool bag full of gadgets and gizmos, and they just go out there with their iPads, but for me i just I, I just think it's so important to to illustrate to clients
0: yeah i mean you, you know i mean just touch there a little briefly on on some tech i mean the ipad i mean i you know i'm going to give a shout out now to mr gizmo mr gadget himself martin hall um martin mm-hmm. was my county coach staffordshire county coach when i was a junior martin was at trentham at the time uh, before he moved over to the states and um you know, Martin was, for me, you know, the the, the inspiration of tra- of all training aids. He had got everything going on. Um, you know, it was he was also the first guy for for me that you know s- sort of showed my swing on video, and the challenge that we had as a kid. You know, we we sort of we had our own equipment and and the like, but you know, sort of invariably, you know, maybe. Dads were with us, you know, because we couldn't drive. We were kids. So, you know, we'd turn up at the driving range at Pelsall, uh, at back of Lockswitch Golf Club, and, it, you know, sort of in this old wooden dingy shed, you know, freezing cold. Um, and then Martin was there with his box of tricks or his bag of tricks. You never wanted to carry his clubs out, or his club bag. It was a tour bag. I, I, I want to say it was a Wilson bag. It may not have been, but it's, you know, the recollection of a Wilson bag. But this... Myriad of different gadgets and gizmos and training aids that I've, you know, I can't remember using, you know, more than one or two myself. But and I can't remember what they were. It, it, Martin's focus was always on my grip, and I, you know, I got a very strong sort of five knuckle grip. I had not even got a four knuckle left hand grip, you know. It was, um, and you know, fought a hook for my junior career, and you know, didn't listen, of course, as you do uh, until I was until I turned pro and realized that I couldn't shape the golf ball where I needed to hit it um and change the grip and took another seven years to 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 build a golf game around my new grip but it you know the training aids was such a big bag that we decided to take you know I, I always wanted to carry the um his camera out because the box that that came in weighing probably 50 or 60 pounds in its own right so i might be exaggerating Mm -hmm. but it was huge this enormous box because the camera he slung it over his shoulder like you know we don't even see them this big now for broadcasting you know slung this shoulder over you know this camera over his shoulder you wanted to carry that you didn't want to help him with carrying this you know golf bag of of um training aids because it just weighed a ton um so training aids, you know, and I think he still carries that same in a different bag, but still carries the same amount of training aids out with him. Um, but, you know, training aids are used. Martin, you know, probably epitomises training aids as a coach and, and has been doing so for probably the best part of 40 years. I think it's how old he is. Um, but ultimately, you know, he, he got this concept of illustration, as you said earlier, illustration by a means of attaching something to a club or to the human, you know, to, to get the job done or to create a feel. And I think it's vital, you know, that certain players, um, you know, work off the kinesthetics of feel and, you know, not just the visual elements. Sometimes they work visually, you know, um, the uh, swing plate, you know, um, Mm
1: that's,
0: you know, really good. Um, which Jamie Britton's um, invented Mm -hmm. and you know sort of come up with and you know really good you know great product you know go and check it out guys Um, you know swing plate Um, it it, you know simplifies you know angles by being able to put a, a training stick I mean you know talk about simplifying it a stick you know literally a carbon fiber rod you know brightly colored Stuck in the ground, or if you're working on a driving range, working stick it into your swing plate, and away you go with an angle that helps to define the movement. And you know, obviously, then there were products that attached to the clubs, etc. A little bit like T stroke does, and you know, sort of you know, pro stroke that we're looking at now, and you know, all these little sort of plastics invariably gadgets that attach to the club or attach to us that help us to create a feel you know i've brought the game of golf on and you know a lot of people just buy them stick them on the club don't realize how good they are chuck them in a cupboard and never use them again um not realizing just the benefit that they're offering you know and i saw that with with the t-stroke you know when I, I introduced it as a prototype um you know in, in uh, 2012 out on the European tour and had players using it to great effect you know and then not using it once we got the products out and, you know, we're sort of handing the products out to the players and, you know, and by the way, they were buying them. Uh, they weren't handed out. You you only got a handout from me if you were a major champion. So the, quite a few of those went out, but, you know, for me, you know, if you can't afford, you know, a 30 pound product, um, you know, if you're trying to make a living at the game, realising how good something is, um you, you know, then I, I think, you know sort of get a grip on on the reality of things it costs a fortune to create these products Uh, and ultimately you know when we you know we get them in the hands you see the enhanced skill you see how a player transforms it's not just for tour players training aids are used by tour players fleetingly and they use them for you know a period a season you know three months month you know they get they, oh, yeah, I've got everything out of it. And you see their stats slowly decline after they stop using it, you know, and they've misplaced it or they handed it, you know, dad grabbed it or you know, whoever else has grabbed it, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, they stop using the product and you see the change in their stats. The products are designed to do a job. There's some crap products out there. We know that, you know, we've tested, you know, a, a huge amount. But ultimately, most of the products because of the costs applicable to them cost money to design cost money to develop cost money to market cost money to get out there. And then ultimately they do it because they work. You know, we, we create them not just because we're passionate. We do it because they work and we like to see, you know, those of us that are inventing and creating these products, we like to see players improve, which is why we use them. is why we create them, you know, and get them to market. And you know, we know how we can simplify the best training aid, the most used training aid in my putting studio, you know, is the Wix ruler, you know, the Mm -hmm. 40 inch aluminum ruler, which comes off the shelf at Wix for less than 10 pound, you know, is the most used training aid in the studio. It's used more than the sticks. The sticks are illustrators. This fixes issues. It tells us what the issues are. First is the face relative to the path. Is it square enough? Are you able to deliver an optimum roll on the ball, a directional roll on the ball? Once you can do that, then you can look at your green reading and and distance skills. But ultimately, if you can't start the ball online, any green reading capability is going to be thrown away by the inability to be able to start it on the line you've chose. And, you know, so as simple and as, you know, as effective as the Wicks ruler drill is you know you just you know you can't buy a pair of sticks for less than a tenner you know so you know and they're not going to help you do you know what that will it will tell you it's hard it's, it's a challenge for rolling a ball 40 inches um, you know over an inch wide stick is, is extremely challenging and it, you know and so it should be but that's why it works because once you start to realise what your errors are and we put the skill factors into place, then you can train and train and train and train until you become confident. And, of course, you're only rolling the ball over a quarter, you know, 28 mil. So, you know, a quarter of the width of the hole, you know, uh, immediately then, you know, the hole looks like a bucket from four feet, you know. So it it has a, a, a double whammy, you know, in terms of, you know, as folk will say. Andy, why do you keep saying that you've not missed a putt inside six feet? Well, you know, because of a, a couple of drills that I do continuously. And one of them being the Rick, Wicks ruler, and the other one is, you know, sort of the, the one club, you know, sort of warm up drill for distance. You know, I have to get, I have to hold the one and two club distance
1: before I can move on so uh and your know, washer drill your washer that is another kind of household implement or well, diy yeah, well, hardware storage yeah,
0: garage implement but yeah you're absolutely right yeah. you know i mean this you don't have to spend you know a fortune i mean you know the t-stroke was designed we'll come to the design if those of you are know, not familiar but of course yeah, if yeah. you need to be you know become familiar ultimately go and have a look at the, um, my website and the shop you'll see Um, you know, the T-stroke products. And, you know, know, when they're designed, they're designed to do something specific. When I go around hunting around hardware stores trying to find a solution to the problem, you know, the washer and, you know, you might have to buy a pack of washers because you can't buy them singularly. But, you know, if you can't find one in, in your garage and you can't find one in your granddad's garage, then, you know, ultimately you know, sort of go to the hardware store and, you know, shout out to Wicks because they've got the ideal ruler. You know, that's why I shout Wicks out. They're not paying me to say it. They don't even probably know that we're saying it. But ultimately, um, you know, maybe wondering why the sales of aluminium rulers have gone up um, in, the, <laughs> in, the, in the last sort of two years or so. But but it, they work, you know, and they work, you know, between a washer and a, um, you know, and a ruler for, for less than 10 pounds, You've got yourself something that is going to absolutely nail down your putting, um, you know, and that's without it being designed to do a job that it that it's doing for us. So you know, we know what washers are, we know what rulers are doing, you know, but they are absolutely ideal for it, you know for what it is that we need them to do, you know, and it helps. So don't be afraid to go out there and you know look in the hardware store and and consider something that may or may not work for you. I've used brackets before now to, to guide path. You know, um, yeah, all right. You, you know, you get it wrong and you might chip the paint on your, um, on your putter. So don't get it wrong. Um, you know, brackets have been used for, you know, for a long time. I use the wall, you know, edge of the skirting board, not up against it, sliding from side to side. Guys, remember it does, you have to miss it on the inside. But, you know, ultimately, you know, things that have been used, you know, household items, you don't have to spend a fortune, you know, going out there and buying training aids. That said, by all means, come and buy a T-stroke from me, because, you know, it was designed to do a
1: job specifically. Take us back to those early days, Andy, then the T-stroke, where did it come from, the design concept, kind of how you brought it to market? Because as you said, it's not a cheap um, process, but it's it's a, a labour of love, so to speak, I imagine as well. isn't it
0: hugely a labor of love I think more than anything you know the passion to see people improve um and try to find a solution so that they get the fix as quickly as possible I think that's where where we come from you know I'm fortunate that I've got kind of an engineering mind if I wasn't going to be a golf pro I was you know going to be an engineer I I I guess I it never entertained you know I, I did go for an interview once at an engineering workshop um you know, and the guy said to me, he said, look, you know, with all due respect, it, your, your hands can cope with engineering because they were calloused up. You know, I hit lots and lots oh. of golf balls as a kid. You know, so he looked at my, first thing he did is looked at my hands and he said, where do you get these calluses from? And I said, ah, play golf. So he just looked at me and he said, and watch sort of your handicap, you know? And I told him, I was, you know, sort of category one golfer, I think I might have been off two or something like that at the time. And he said, "So." why do you want to do engineering? I said, well, I don't really want to play golf, but I'm not good enough mm-hmm. to be a golfer, you know. And he said, I think, you know, you just better stay off out on the grass, you know. Stay out there. But best thing, you know, i was a bit disappointed. But, you know, my engineering drawing capabilities, I enjoyed that. I bet I couldn't see myself as a draftsman, to be honest with you, you know, and doing, doing that kind of thing. And ultimately, of course, you know, we've got CAD Designs, which would have helped me with the design of the product, which I wouldn't have designed because I wasn't a golf pro trying to fix the problems. So, you know, when Mm. it comes down to it, um, that engineering mind sort of lent me to, um, you know, the design of T-stroke. T-stroke came about because I had a whole bunch of clients coming in, gripping out the fingers. So swing grip, toe in the air of the putter, um, not just because the putter was too upright, but because they were gripping the club in the fingers and, you know, that was causing all sorts of issues. Clubface closed the path and, you know, sort of end up fighting a pull in one of the guises. So, you know, bent over too far, as we know, you know, it's an issue with with posture, but ultimately just poor grip position. And they would get the club more into the palms, running up the forearms in terms of shaft um, location during the training session, during the coaching programme, and then they go away and, you know, everything's great You know, are knocking in putts. I've become the, you know, the god of putting, you know, and they're waxing lyrical with their mates and they're sending me down, sending them down. And then all of a sudden, three weeks later, it's like all gone cold. You know, I'm the biggest idiot on the planet. You know, my putting coaching's a load of rubbish and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. It was all right a week ago. So what's changed? Oh, it's a crock of shit. Well, we'll come into the studio and let's have a look and see what's going on. Oh, I'm not paying for that again. And so, look, oh, come on me. All right, come because I want to see what it is that I've caused to go wrong. Well, of course, straight away, they're coming, toes in the air, grips back in the fingers, shaft planes changed in relationship to the forearms. Uh, we're back to where we were three, four weeks ago. Uh, back in shaft in the right position, gripping the forearms, uh, gripping the, in the palm knocking putts in for fun again oh i'm the savior of the world now you know that that whole scenario happened one too many times and it had to get fixed (laughs) really we had to stop Mm -hmm. it in its path i got more than enough frustration that if i couldn't find a solution to golfers challenges that you know i'm Look, not just the words, not just the coaching, but every swing coach has said the same thing. Every client who's ever had a swing lesson, not just for for me, but with every coach has always hit it well on the range, can't take it to the course, always hit it well on the range, has a couple of practice sessions, then they lose it. Oh, I'm never as good as when I'm having the lesson. Part of the reason is because they actually don't practice what they were working on in the lesson because they didn't realise that actually they're not doing what they were doing in the lesson. And, you know, yeah. and that's where the training aids come from. So T-stroke was designed to clip to the top of the putter in order that the bar that rests across the forearm stops you from gripping in the palm. Uh, sorry, in the fingers, focuses on the grip going into the palm without it being intrusive. You just locked into a position very quickly you become comfortable with being in that position. And it's almost like putting a splint on to hold the bones together whilst they heal. And that was really what it was, was designed to do. It was designed to optimize the shaft plane with the forearms, with the shaft pointing towards the elbow, not the middle of the forearm. So we, uh-huh. we worked really hard on getting the angles right. I tested the, the, the angles, had a little slider to be able to get it done to start with and found that the distance between the, 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 um, the bar and the connection with the shaft and the club was, um, was optimized at a certain number, and it catered for, generically, virtually every single golfer. It was over 97% of the golfers. That one particular angle catered for. It catered for juniors, it catered for ladies, it catered for seniors, it catered for regular golfers, it catered for tour players. Now, if training methods have been implemented, i.e. we've got some. Uh, flexion forward, or some ulnar deviation, so sort of where we're tipping the hands down, so that the the thumb, instead of pointing up at ninety degrees, almost to the forearm, points down, parallel to the forearm. So you're bending that wrist down. If that's where you are told to t- to to practice and position your hands, then the t stroke will not sit on the butt on the forearms. That is tension applied to to try and stop something from breaking down. It's not. The optimum position for an instinctive putting stroke, and that's what T stroke was all about, was creating the instinctive stroke that uh, position for that to happen, and ultimately then the club face to stay square to the path and the shaft plane through the stroke, which would then deliver a square club face and path during the during the putting stroke while you hitting the ball. So you know we've got forearms square, we've got shoulders square on the back of that you know we basically ticked all the geometrical um sort of positions that you know constitutes to a consistent putting stroke that said you know variables are allowed and viable and you know it's one of the things that we noticed when you went left below right it showed up that your forearms are out of alignment i went to claw grip you had to get the position of the forearms in the right place in order to optimize your shoulder alignment, because we know that shoulder alignment generally is the reason for the path of the club or the directional um, persuasion of the path of the club. So T-stroke was great on the basis that we were actually able to um, develop a putting stroke that worked, um, you know, and to develop the, the principles that we're looking at. And then you put it on the whip's the drill Of course, and then you've got the club face square to the path of the club, and the ball's rolling down the ruler for fun. So, you know, we knew that it worked, and you know, we were able to then develop something we used all sorts of equipment into the hardware store, go and get some toilet pipes, you know, I mean, all sorts of crazy, you know, sort of, um, you know, equipment to make it work, and then ultimately formed, you know, a, a folded piece of aluminium that then. You know, I squeezed into place and locked a, a tour stick. You know, on around this folded aluminium, and it gave a little bit of spray paint, and it took that out onto the tour as a prototype in in June, uh, sort of in May of uh, 2012. Um, wow. Peter Laurie picked it up off the bag, had a little play with it, liked it. You know, it had a few problems with his um, sort of stroke over you know a few weeks or so. He'd had. I'm going to say it. I think he'd not made a cut in the 11 tournaments and he then went and finished tied fourth that week. So, you know, and putted the lights out, you know, really did. And, you know, including the 25 foot putt on the last green, you know, to take him into, into tied fourth position. You know, he was a quarter of a million euros better off at the end of that weekend. And I knew I'd got a product that worked. And, you know, I knew I had before took it out there. but um, And then, of course, you have to go through the design to create a product out of, you know, it's all very well having a prototype, but, you know, a prototype that then, you know, folk are wanting to buy. Well, you know, you can't, have, there's no way I could go bending loads of aluminum strips. You, you know, I had to <laughs> had to turn it into a product. And, um, you know, so we, we, we had to engage the services of, you know, a CAD designer and, you know, we actually brought the guy, uh, a fellow called Earl Beckles, Earl worked at Jaguar. Um, he had some major design influences on the interior of the F Type, um, and you can't give a straight line to a, a car designer; um, they turn it into a curve somehow. And you know, look at look at that F Type. Yeah, inside and out, you will see just some of the most incredible design. Um, and you know that some of that design ended up uh, in the T-stroke. He just did not want it to look like a straight bar, which is, you know, kind of, I, I get it, but it means that I ask, I'm asked more questions. Why has it got the sort of curves on the front? Uh, you know, and of course, then I can tell them how, you know, you give the design to a car designer, you end up with a straight line that has okay. curves. <laughs> so, but the bit that's actually in the optimum position is the bit that rests on your forearms at the back. So, um, did a great job. You know, we then gave it to a local Company uh, here in the UK in Telford, just on the road from between you and I. Um, and they did a superb job of moulding it out. And, you know, we're at we're a place where the decisions are being made now. Do we go to, to remoulding? Do we get another, you know, sort of batch made? Um, so, you know, that's a business decision to be had. But, um, you know, ultimately, you know, one that, uh, you know, are, are the challenges of, of running you know, a little cottage business, cottage industry business that um, but it's a, it's a big challenge. Once you've got the product you know it works, then you've got to get it to market and, and that poses its own, you know, sort of difficulties, you know, marketing breaking into markets, you know, patent infringements, albeit, you know, ambiguous patents of you know, which actually, you know, have very sort of have major implications to to small businesses but it's not patent infringement that you would get away with, but you can't afford to take it to court. So, Mm. you you know, there are major issues when it comes to breaking into the big markets, you know, and whether or not you, you know, you sort of stretch yourself and say, look, you know, I'm going to be prepared to take it on the chin here. Um, You know, I've got a great product, I know it works, but to break into certain marketplaces, you've got to be prepared to go to court to challenge the patent infringement challenge that's coming your way. you know, because there are products out there that do not do the same thing that T-stroke does, which remember is to optimise the fit of the shaft to the elbow to make sure that this club sits in exactly the right position every single time when, you know, resting a bar, a patent infringement of resting a bar on the forearms, which should never be a patent Getting into legalities now, but um, ultimately, you know, sh- you know, shouldn't be an issue. Um, if it's variable, if it's fixed, then, you know, yes, there's a contest. Um, and we had the product out in the marketplace, albeit as a prototype, um, you know, before any design rights and patent uh, instructions were issued uh, across the pond. So, you know, there are massive, massive challenges uh, all the time when you, you're working on you know developing a training product, which ultimately is there to enhance golfers
1: skills but more importantly their enjoyment do you think that's where the difficulty comes with people who who create this amazing idea this amazing concept but then it's getting it out there like you said the marketing side of things it's a very cluttered market the training aid world isn't it so what what would you give us any advice out there to people who've got a product and they want to to get it out there to market
0: um and talk to us. Uh, ultimately, you know, I'm I'm available for that conversation. Um, you know, again, you know, I had non-disclosure agreements signed by probably you know a dozen or so individuals, some which you know became investors because they they love the product. Um, you know, and and ultimately, you know you've got to talk, you've got to communicate. You can't do this on your own and you're better off knowing with knowledge. Don't make mistakes like designing something, taking it to market, um, you know, and committing. We made a a small mistake which ended up costing me 5,000 pounds. So it was a a small mistake as in we didn't make the bar long enough to fit generically, you know, a, a lot, you know, the amount of golfers that we would go with. Um, And there was, you know, a leading coach in the States came and picked up the product and had a look at it and said, I really like this, but you've got a bit of a problem here. The bar isn't long enough to rest across my forearms comfortably. Now It was just about long enough, but because he was fairly broad-chested and, you know, shorter arms, you know, he got his, um, you know, his arms sort of out across his body a little bit more rather than hanging down. It's okay if the hands hang down. Imagine you could hold a, you know, a small so tennis ball in between your forearms, that kind of width, it wasn't a problem. At ten inches across, it worked. But actually taking it to fourteen inches across, you know, made it even better. Um, it wasn't too big, but ultimately it meant that we were able to get that into the optimum uh, an optimum length. It meant I had to go back to molding, you know, I had to go back and make the design adjustments. That cost me for design fees, and it cost me a mold adjustment. You know, and it's better to make something too small to start and then expand it because they're actually cutting out the mold, um, machining the mold out for you. But it meant that all that work had to be done over again. And it like I say, cost me an extra five thousand um, pounds wow. worth every single penny. But a mistake that I didn't need to make to start with. And, mm-hmm. you know, had I have maybe taken it to market, um, you know, or taken it out into the field. And got a little bit more research. We had 12 to 15 non-disclosures. Nobody once picked up on this. You know, so you've got to do your testing before you go to, to molding, you know, and there is an element of you know, sort of after like prototype mold. But these days you can print it. You know, this 3D printing is phenomenal and you know allows us that that capability to get the molds right before or or the product right before we go to mold. You know, which then sets everything in stone or aluminium
1: or whatever the moulds may be. Is that going to be game changing, you think, Andy, for products, especially plastic products, so to speak? I think so. I think even
0: even even you know metal products. You know, we can hmm. um, you know you can print them, and you know when you can print it, we can actually get it physically in your hand in three D mould. You know, then ultimately, you know, and it may even be that you know if you've got a product that you can you know that that can bolt on a a new thought process to an existing product ultimately you can create that um design that works for you then you know yeah it is a game changer i think it makes things affordable um you know building products you you know i mean for me before i even took it to market it cost over twenty five thousand pounds Mm. To develop the T-stroke before we even took it to market, you know, we—I'm going to say that it's probably cost me forty-five 000 to fifty thousand pounds to take it to market to produce a product that ultimately, you know, is helping folk to fix. And and we're we're selling that product to thirty pound, you know. So yeah, it, we're not. So we tried to make a product that was going to be a what I call a one-note product, a ten-pound or twenty-pound product. You know, people say to me, oh, you can't you can't sell that if you don't sell that for 10. That's a 10 pound shelf product. Get out of here. You know, you're selling bags of teas for eight quid. You know, how can can you put designs and molds and everything together without, you know, Swing Guide, another great product, you know, sells for about 24 pounds, something like that. Somewhere between 20 Mm -hmm. and 25 pounds. You know, it is a moldy piece of plastic with a screw on it. And, and it does a phenomenal job, but without sort of you know discrediting it, it does a phenomenal job. But there've been millions have been sold, so it doesn't matter now if you're yeah. only making a pound a unit or a dollar a unit. You've made a few million dollars, you know, um, when you sell millions of them. But we haven't sold millions of T-strokes as much as you know. That was always the mindset that hey, we'd love to be able to do that. You know, we didn't yeah. crack the US market. <laughs> well, we didn't. We didn't crack the US market you know, at, at mm-hmm. the early stages, we may do that going forward, but ultimately, you know, unless you are doing, you know, that kind of volume, you're not going to sell the product at 10 pat. you know, and if you do, you know, the cost to, you know, cost to develop it and market it and everything else, uh, far outweigh, you know, the, the risk that you now have on, you know, 10,000, 50,000 units, you know, cause you mm-hmm. just never, you're not going to make enough money quickly enough to, to turn it around. Um, and that, that's a problem, that's a challenge to anybody who's got a concept. You think a bit of plastic is only going to cost a couple of quid and you're trying to sell it for 25. Um, you know, then, then, then that, that's, you know, that, that's where, it, where the challenge is like, because if it costs you, let's say, it costs you five pounds to make it and package it and box it, and you know, before you send it anywhere, it's going to cost you 15 pounds to market it. And yeah. that's where, you know, to do it properly. You know in the and and that's the killer in the early instance people come up great designs can't market it or it gets bought out by a big box company that almost brings it buys it off you to crush it to stop it from doing what it does you know and I've seen that a number of times folk have sold their soul to a you know a, a major corporation within the golf industry and the product's not even in the marketplace anymore you can barely find, yeah. barely find a battered secondhand one on eBay. You know, I mean, it's it is it is literally uh, that much. But um, um, I'm mindful that uh, you know we've talked uh, uh, only briefly about training aids. I think we need to have a, had conversation about training aids themselves. More of them. You know, yeah. I've given you my experiences of um, T-stroke. You know, uh, you know it's a great experience, an experience that I've, I'm glad that I had. Um, and I'm glad to share that information with you, those of you, so that you have a little bit of an insight as to what it is that you know we do when we look at training aids. But we will look at other training aids. Any training aid companies that are out there that would like us to test them, feel free to get in touch with us. Um, you can contact Gareth at um, Mediate.co.uk. Is that right? And that's, um, yeah, Gareth at Mediate um, Ltd.co.uk. Ltd. And it's Mediate, as in M-E-D i number eight, I,
1: number eight. um uh, dot limited um yeah l- l- ltd.co.uk but you can find me on on social gareth.chore.golf um, um, okay. or come through andy's channels yeah uh, you, you can always find andy's us if you contact me
0: then gareth will look after that element for us as well mm-hmm. so uh, as he's managing day-to-day operations with contacts and stuff like this. So feel, feel free to get in touch. We're ha- more than happy to look at training aids. You may have something. That, if you want non-disclosures, we can do that. Um, you know, we're happy to, to help um, any way that so you can if you've got an idea. You know, we've been there. We've done it. Um, you know, we've worn the T-shirt, still wearing the logo, uh, still selling mm-hmm. the products, enjoying the journey um but it's not just a case of making something that you think is going to revolutionize golf uh there's a little bit more to that i thought that uh back in 2011 um we made a great product i have to say that but it does work we know what it produces and how it transforms your put in but there is more to it than just getting it just making something you know works it is a a bigger challenge than that so happy to share that um gonna wish everybody Uh, Well, I hope you had a good weekend because, of course, we're recording Friday for the the Monday podcast. So, hoping that you've had a great weekend. And then we will look to tomorrow, um, our Tuesday session. We'll have another one uh, following up with Tour Talk. So, um, Gareth, have a great weekend, my friend. And as I say, we will catch up uh, in due course with Tour Talk. And we wish everybody all the very best. Contact us. Golf at andygorman.com. Go and check out my website at andygormangolf.com. Uh, all the social channels, Andy Gorman Golf. And uh, subscribe to the golf channels and everything that we've got going on there YouTube and the like. We've got some cracking videos for you to have a look at. By all means, sort of click the likes, subscribe. When we get the new product and new videos out there for you, you'll be a first to know that what we've got. And uh, we do say thank you very much for listening and we'll catch up with you real soon. Bye for now.